Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Yo London Radio Show podcast with Brad and Stuart. We are lucky enough to be here this morning with um, The Milk and Gary from The Libertines. How are you doing, gentlemen? All good. All good. I'm alive, it'll do. Excellent, that's what I like to hear. Have you ever been interviewed by a guy on a bike before? Twice. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that answer. Brad's currently sitting on, on a Mongo's BMX, uh, I reckon circa 1984. Yeah, Skyway Mags, yeah. The yeah. only thing missing is a good, good old-fashioned H-bars. Uh, and representing, before, representing swag. Yeah, yeah, before we went on air, Gary was... Uh, was talking about uh, how he owned a Mongo, so uh, I think I think Gary must have been a rich kid because none of us, none Paper of us, around money. <laughs> no, around none money. of us could afford a Mongo. I had a rally burner. <laughs> I had a rally burner. I started off with a ra- ra- ultra ultra burner. So yeah, I had a grifter. Like, I, I, I had a rally grifter, and, uh, and and I remember when I went to buy it, I wanted it because it had gears. And I remember the guy in the bike shop was going to me. Uh, yeah, no, these new things are coming out called BMXs. Like, you should get one. I was like, no, man, I, I want this this rally grifter. This everybody thing. had a grifter. And, and, and then literally, it weighed a ton. Yeah. And within a month, everybody had BMXs and <laughs> throwing them off these ramps. Like this massive lump of metal with three gears that got me nowhere. Uh, we anyway. Couldn't have, we couldn't have hung out. You were too poor. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch, Rich, first bike experiences? Oh, I've slept with a few. But <laughs> They're from Wickford in Essex. I steal them and I ride them. It's all about what you park the bike. All right. Well, look. I think what we're doing to, to, to kick the tunes off that the milk have been gracious enough to uh, to give us a little uh, heads up on a, on a on a new track by them, and uh, obviously we like to talk about it afterwards. And be nice to see what Gal's thoughts are on it as well. And then throughout the show, what we do is we'll we'll play some music that Gary's bought in, and we, we play some tracks that. But we think you, you guys would like to hear. So um, yeah, if the, if the milk boys aren't really produce their own their own track, that'd be lovely. Uh, all right, this is uh, off our next record, which is coming out this year. Hopefully, this one's called uh, Favorite Worry. Yeah. Yeah, London. That's incredible. 
Just so you know, that's it. I'm super impressed with that guy. What do you reckon? That ain't no joke. What's your inspiration behind that? Because I, I, I listened to that and I was just like, it started off and it was like, geez, that's that's kind of, I'm, I'm thinking kind of, I, I love that it was very kind of spatial, lots of delay, lots and lots of reverb. So I was thinking, whoa, that's kind of like Mickey Mouse in the 60s working with those. When he first moved to New York and he was working with the old R&B bands, it was really, really good. Yeah. Just lots and lots of space in there. And then, then it was kind of, and then it kind of went, I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that sounds like Raphael Sadiq over the past couple of well, years or so. Interesting that kind of, you picked up on Raphael with big fans. Big Raphael, you know, you know, without Raphael Sadiq, um, unfor- unfor- well, fortunately, unfortunately, we would not have had Amy Winehouse. Because that's where that all came from. That yeah. was all a Raphael Sadiq kind of direction. I mean, I all, think he's definitely one like of the cornerstones of the whole neo soul yeah. movement. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, but w- with that track, we, you know, I mean, as a band, we sort of met through a love of 60s soul. Yeah. You know, and anything that was Northern Soul, Motown, and as we've kind of gone along, we're kind of getting into a more sort of like spacious 70s more approach yeah. to soul and like Bill Withers is now like yeah. we're basically 40 years behind yeah yeah I love the so way you say that with your flat cap and your scarf yeah. <laughs> 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 be flares yeah. I'm, I'm a mishmash <laughs> but when we I mean in terms of like the space and the reverb we was lucky enough to record the album in um in a medieval barn a stone walled medieval barn because I'm assuming the majority of that was recorded live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. apart it, it from totally it, sounds like we overdubbed. Totally sounds like we overdubbed the Vokes and the brass. Yes, yeah, yeah. But the whole backing track was done with the four of us and piano. Um, the four of us just in this stone-walled medieval barn with really high ceilings, and it was on the Isle of Wight, and it yeah. just it couldn't have been a more natural sort of recording experience. And how much of that was feeling? Because it it, it, it feels it feels to me like I don't know who actually wrote the track, but it feels to me like. When you guys actually came together with the track, everybody, it, it kind of, you know, you know, you have, you, you get a feeling from from certain types of music that that it, it was written by somebody, and then he said, you play this, you play that. Like um, when Prince um, came up with um, 1999, he um, historically he wrote that the night before working with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Everybody left the studio. Prince was left by himself. They came at the next the next morning he's like, I got a track for you. I've recorded everything. Yeah, I know. It's 1999. Yeah, yeah. And everybody then re-recorded with him and you know but he'd already recorded all of the parts. Yeah. That your track doesn't sound anything like that. It sounds more like the, there was an idea and everybody then went, ah I know what I'm doing. It's kind this. of how we work uh, yeah. you know because obviously you know we write as a as a four ball anyway, all of yeah. us sort of you know write but there's many ways that we do it. This one in particular was a was a particular idea from Dan, the guitarist. Yeah. But you know, because you can't, not everyone can spark the same idea no, at the exactly. same time. That's impossible. Exactly. But you know, he come in with a very basic idea of melody and chords, no lyrics really. Yeah. So that is the the product of all four yeah. of us sort of getting our heads into it. And I think that know. early on when we were putting the track together, we 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 were into the idea of starting a track in one place and. By the end of the track, having it in a completely unpredictable place. Yeah. So like, and forth that 1970s very kind of yeah, thick, well, the, reverb, full spectresque. Yeah, yeah, well, the, yeah, the particular yeah, reference, awesome. the particular reference with, from the ending, something we keep banging on about with this next record is we want it to be really cinematic and we want yes. it to be quite thought provoking. Just in terms of like, even if it's just colours in your head, yeah. you know, we just want we want a cin- cinematic response to it, which works beautifully because 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 the vocal um, content and the melodic content works really well. 
brought together. Yeah. Especially with with, with reference to the direction that the music actually takes. Yeah. You know, with, uh, there's like a, like an arpeggiated chord near the end of it all, where, where the where the refrain is just just continued via the vocal, which yeah. is really, which is yeah, just like yeah, you, you know you know exactly where you are and you know exactly what you get, which is very very cool. But, it, but you you don't actually get that until you actually get to that point in time. Yeah. The song just keeps on building and building and building. Which is we've, we've pretty genius. You got to earn the ending. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Don't show the toilet. We were having a discussion. <laughs> the, the producer, the, the producer that we worked with for the album was Paul Butler from the Bees. Yeah. And we've always been a big fan of the Bees. And uh, Paul's a bit of a jazzer. And you know, we're confessed. You know, we're not we're not the greatest appreciators of jazz. Nor are we. I'm, I'm not particularly well read in the world of jazz. But we were talking about cinema and films, and someone started talking about Taxi Driver. And then we all started talking about how. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with the film, but there's that Bernard Herrmann did the soundtrack, yeah. and he's a big sort of jazz player. Yeah. And uh, there's those kind of like really discordant, uh, like brass um, uh, parts that he puts together that really build the tension of the film, and it's that whole Manhattan yeah. smoggy thing at night time. And Paul's like, well, let's do that. Let's do a Bernard Herrmann like really discordant, like harsh brass build at the end. And, it's totally an inspired thing from, from Taxi Driver, which obviously links back into that thing. Yeah. We want the whole album to be quite like a film, you know, but not not with a particular uh, story to it, but just have that feeling of yeah. like... Just so, it, just so that it's emotive enough that so, so yeah. you can actually go along on the journey as well. Yeah. well we've, we've coined like phrases, haven't we, since making this record that other people would not have a clue what we're talking about. But if I said like some dusty Philadelphia piano, like he yeah, knows yeah, what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because we've all, we've got this real yeah. kind of sh- strict idea about how we want this yeah. whole album to sound like. It's, you know, it's sort of one colour that goes yeah. over the whole yeah. record. You know, yeah. and it's and, all and that it, dusty New Yorky seventy sh- soul. And it should be a learning curve. I mean, right now, you know, I, 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 I don't know, if, I don't know if you agree at all, but right now there's, there's so much music out there where, whereby you don't actually have to think. Yeah. Which is just, which just adds to the whole kind of throwaway kind of environment that we live in right now. Well, exactly. Yeah, everything, everything is just like you know, you just do it once or twice. You really, really like it until something else new <coughs> comes, comes along. So you get rid of that and you move on to the next thing. Which you know, it should be that. It should be I like every time you listen to a new piece of music, you go back to it again and you find you, you, you learn something new about it, which is great about this. Great about that record. I, yeah, I mean, like like anything, like 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 taste, like music, like art. I like things that are an acquired taste, you know. Mm-hmm. If all you eat is white bread and, and mild cheese, you get a flavour for it. Yeah. You know, and it, if it's food, if it's art, if it's music, whatever it is, I like things that take me a little while yeah. to kind of pick up those yeah. taste buds for yeah. it. And like you say, like revisit it and learn new things, yeah. and revisit it again. And, we, you know, with, when we made the first record, and I think a lot of bands would feel, um, we certainly felt it, it was all about make as much noise as we possibly can, play every note you possibly can, show them every single lick you possibly know. I know exactly and with this record, about. it's like <laughs> we're trying to focus on the notes that we don't play and how important that is. Space is so important. Yeah, a friend of, a friend of ours said to us and it had a big impact, all music is is the arrangement of sound and silence and you've got to concentrate just as much on putting the silence in the right places and leaving the right spaces. You've got to think about those bits just as much as you think about the licks that you're putting down and the words that you're saying. It's it's all colour. Yeah. Yeah. It was also the quality of each recording as a, you know, in, in records that we've done in the past, you'd put the drums down, then you know, bass, guitar, another guitar, a synth, a piano, like, and it just keeps layering it, it up. Whereas yeah. the focus this time around was 
let's say that the verse is just carried by bass and drums. Let's make the drums sound incredible. Should've if they done. don't, do them again. You know, should've, it should've done it the other way around and just had everything in there and just started taking things away. Yeah. <laughs> Can we lose the kazoo? Yeah. There's, 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 there's been times in the past. I mean, you know, we've been sitting there, sort of in, the, in a studio, going, "Oh, it's not right," and it's already there's yeah. tons of shit on there, yeah. and it still ain't right, and it's like. You know, it's because we probably didn't spend enough time on each individual part, really, you know, yeah. sound-wise. So this time round, it was like, let's, you know, let's put a real focus on how good that drum sound can be, yeah. how good that bass will be, you know, yeah. if it's just the guitar carrying the song. Yeah. Let's really work to make that guitar sound fucking great, so we don't, in, you know, two weeks' time, go, oh, you know, let's start putting loads more on it to picking it out, you know. And musically, musically it's, all, it's, it's all a journey. The good thing about that is then, you know, when you revisit the music that was that was possibly overlaid, that's nothing, that doesn't take away from the overall musical content. The song may still be good, it just may be overlaid for you at this point in time. At the point of time of writing it, at the point of time of recording it, you had to do it like that. Yeah. Because without doing it like that, you wouldn't be in a position now to go, okay, hold on a second, we need to we need to we need to we need to pull the drawstrings back and just remove some of these layers mm -hmm. a little bit so that we can actually see exactly the direction that we're going in with this particular track that we're yeah. working on. Whereas beforehand, you didn't need to do that, it had to be that, it had yeah. to be that way. Mm -hmm. If you didn't do it that way, then there's no I I I find it really, really difficult. Especially like like with like the stuff that we recorded with like the Libertines and the dirty dirty pretty things. The difference between the stuff that we did in the beginning and the stuff that we ended up doing with the Dirty Pretty Things was purely on the basis of the fact that we knew more about ourselves as individuals and we knew more about ourselves as an ensemble to actually do the right thing and then be um, respectful enough of everybody around us to actually give that space. And that is totally the journey that we've been on, you know, quite recently mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, where we are in the band. We, you know, We've kind of got to the point now where we we're all looking at each other, going, "What do we love? You know, what do we love? What do we do? You know, what's our thing? What have we always wanted to do? Yeah. You know, where have we kind of veered off? You know, what is our kind of base yeah. camp in terms of who the milk are? And we kind of we've got back there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we've never been happier, you know, musically and you know. But the great thing else. is as well, it's, it's a never-ending journey. Yeah, it's a never-ending. Yeah, journey. we'll we'll, we'll always, off a, into always some a learning curve. weird garage house thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you, you know you, you say it's all Jerry because Gary's also um, been kind enough to, to, to bring in a, a few tunes for us to, to have a listen to today. That, that I, I think there's, there's probably a few of them that most of you probably haven't heard before. Um, so uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a selection of them. So if we uh, we play one now, and it'd be nice to to get. It's, it's ironic you've been talking about film scores earlier and, and jazz because. Like they, that features quite heavily in the, in your song choices so. today. Yeah, well, that, well. That, that kind of features heavily within my, kind of my my life. I mean, um, growing up as a kid, and like my my babysitter was um, Dennis Davis, who who, who played on um, the Young Americans for Bowie. He was he was Royer's favorite drummer, and he was just an absolute legend regarding film scores. That, that, that was his thing. And, and and my dad was a keyboard player as well. And and that was you know film scores uh, uh, kind of. Kind of, kind of my life more than anything else. I do. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm I think I told you beforehand. I'm, sure. I'm, 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 I'm in the process of starting to write a score for a film in in LA. And what um, sort of thing is that? What sort it, of um, scale of film is that? Is it's, it? a, it's a, it's a, it's a horror film. It's, oh, wow. a, it's a, it's an 80s based horror film. But luckily, I'm, I, I've been given, given enough, um, enough scope 
to actually do kind of whatever I want. So there's going to be your 80s dirty synth sounds under as well, mm -hmm. but there's going to be a variation and a theme of, of, of a string score as well going through there, which I'm really, really looking forward to writing. So you're in charge of the whole score? Yeah, in charge so of the whole how score. Does, so yeah. how does you, uh, you as a drummer, how does that impact looking after a whole score rather than just you know a quarter of it just playing the drums kind of thing um you never really think about it as looking at you know i'm sure it's the same for, same for you guys as well you never really look at it from from a singular instrument's point of view it has to be how it actually impacts everything else so the drums as far as i'm concerned it was just a voice within within the within within the group within the ensemble or whatever it is just as um, a string instrument is no different to to its impact to um, to to a wind instrument, you know, it's still just an individual part of the whole that has to be taken into consideration when you actually think about the overall arrangement and scoring of the piece of music that you're working on. And I guess that tells a story, effectively, being yeah. being a soundtrack. And you've you've got something to aim for, and each of the scenes, I guess, you're looking for a crescendo at each part, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Obviously, we're just about to play uh, this John Barry track. How does that fit in with that? Do you picture? Does this inspire you when it comes to look, working with Absolutely, soundtracks? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, John Barry, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's pretty much one of the members of the Holy Grail with respect to writing music in total, regardless of whether it's for a film or just for just for just for pleasurable listening. And I mean, I listen to John Barry all of the time, regardless of whether there's <laughs> there's something to look at or not, because he writes music that is good enough for you to listen to, and, and it takes you on a journey of your own. You know, that, that that for me is kind of is music is is it's an it's an emotive tool and if it takes you on a new journey it takes you on a on a journey that you've had before in the past i mean how many times do we all listen to a piece piece of music and go oh, i remember that and you just have you have a feeling inside yeah london yeah, I want to picture up in the car today you had your headphones on oh, what was going on what were you listening to i was listening to thundercat <laughs> now you um, you sent me this track ahead of time and I played it and um, it pretty much blew my mind. Um, the video, if anything, more than well as much as the track. Yeah. Um, for me, it reminds me of it just screams of summer. I just I cannot wait to hear it in the summer. It's a big summer sounding show. Mm, yeah. I, I hadn't heard it before. Where, where, where did you pick up on it from? Um, I got into it by listening to um, Flying Lotus. I, got, I, got, I really got into Flying Lotus a few years ago and then I started looking at it. And there's a whole LAC in the Bay Area of these cats that kind of like all oh, these cats. These guys that work together and stuff and 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 and, and Flying Lotus's um, main guy is um, is Thundercat. Who I then I was like, Thundercat, I, I, I went I went online and I saw some stuff and I was like, oh man, why does he look familiar? And I was like, oh my goodness, then I found out that he used to be the bass player in Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. He was a 16-year-old bass player with Suicidal Tendencies when they started. Shit. Then went on from that to Infectious Crews. He's just one of these guys, who's, yeah. he's, he's a phenom of what he does, but you know, as far as he's concerned, music is kind of music. You, know you can do whatever the hell you want with it. I was, at, I was at a club last night and I literally see a guy come in and he had the, 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 the snapback cap on yeah. with the suicidal tendency yeah. print I underneath love it. I suicidal tendencies. And I remember just thinking, every one of my mates had one of them when we were young. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, I can't believe I see one last night. So whether, whether there's going to be a resurgence in uh, <laughs> that retro suicidal tendencies cap. Uh, and there's, uh, there's a few famous people in the, in the video. In there. Yes, there is. Yes, Havana Ginger. Yeah, we didn't realise we were chatting about Havana. this. Uh, yeah. just oh, great drink, didn't it? Yeah, it does. It also sounds like a porn star. Funny you say that. Funny you say that. Yeah, she's a hardcore porn star. <laughs> 
I was unsure, and Gary just, um, he told me that just before we went on air, so I had no idea. I mean, but... mum and dad were setting her up to be a doctor. She might be a doctor. I've had a ginger dust, sound like a really nice drink. Yeah, it does. Perhaps she is, maybe. Well, let's maybe. hear the track. It's, um, it's Thundercat. Um, what's it called, Gary? Walking. Obviously, we've got um, Mitch and Rich from The, the Milk. Um, what are you listening to at the moment? What's in uh, what's on your iPod? Um, I'm going through like a, a, a diet of stuff to sort of aid us with the second record at the moment, you know. Um, so certain things I'm, well, I'm listening to a lot of Nina Simone at the minute. I'm listening mm, nice. to a lot of Isaac Hayes. Ah. Um, old like yeah. rhythm sections like the Men at Home Street Band. I mm. listen to a lot. Um, the Meters. Um, yeah, man. It's, you know, I mean, you kind of got to. I think when you're making a record, you've got to, you know, in the same way that if you're an athlete, you train for a particular event. I think you've got to train your ears and your mind for what you're doing. And you know, we've, we've sort of immersed ourselves in this project, so it's like I'm, I'm keeping my mind, you know, focused on that at the minute. That's yeah, a nice thing. Without being too lazy, you know, to describe you, so I would, I would say you're fundamentally a, a soul-based band. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's interesting. Everything you say you've been listening to, when, when you're writing, and do you have to feel like to get that quality of soul music, you've got to go back? Like, do you think there's anything else at the moment that, that's, yeah. that's coming out that's fresh that's that's also inspiring you as well in, in, in you know, in that, in that genre of music? There's certainly like neo soul artists. I, I I'm not too sure there's many like that are releasing today that I'm, I'm heavily influenced by but you know there's certainly a lot of artists within the last 10 years that would come under that umbrella of soul in one shape or, f- or another that definitely influenced this record there's a guy called um, Lewis Taylor mm. he's from Brighton and he's quite un- he's quite off the radar but there's a lot of like big big people that are really into him and you hear a lot of like big names talk about him but he, he it put an album out about ten years ago. Bittersweet. Yeah. Genius album. There's there's a there's a track. Genius album. There's a track called Lucky. Yeah. Um, particularly the acoustic version of it. That is just, it's just a lesson in how to, how to sing soulfully, but in a modern context. And like, it, it's it's quite, it's quite articulately put together, and it's not it's not dumbed down. You know, it's quite got quite a lot of like jazz crossovers and. Um, yeah, there's really obvious people like Amy or whatever, but yeah, I mean we're not we're not completely like retrospective all the no, time, no. you know. We wanna there's a, there's a band called the Dojo Cuts, which I'm into at the, at the minute as well. Again, mm-hmm. a pretty I hate the term, but they're, you know they're not kind of well known. They're quite underground. They just do their thing. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. they're a great modern yeah. rhythm section, and you know similar to like the Meters and that. Yeah, yeah. Dojo Cuts. And they're, 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 Any... I think they're Australian. I think. Any, anything that comes out of that tone's records at the moment, there's the, the really really good. Um, Soul label are from Brooklyn, and um, they've got a really good like stable of artists. That uh, I mean, it's all kind of fronted by the the, the rhythm section of Dat Kings, Kings. Yeah. and then you, you've got flagship artists like Sharon Jones, yeah. and recently Charles Bradley has been making a, a bit of a scene. He had a BBC documentary made about him. He was this. Um, he's in his 60s now, but yeah. he's he's had a whole life of impersonating James Brown in and around New York. 
and he just goes around, does the wig, he's got the moves, he does wow. the splits and the waistcoat. He's been doing it like 40 years. You do the thing when they put a blanket on him and carry yeah, him Yeah, he has the cape. Yeah. Oh, he has so now, but now he's an artist and now, his own yeah, he's become, he's really now become yeah, Charles, genius. Just genius. He's now Charles Bradley and he's like this, in his 60s, he's now finding his own voice and he's, he's and there was a really good documentary made about it and the journey yeah. he's gone through from being James Brown for all them years to actually signing up to a really credible label now who are saying like, we love what you do, we love your voice, but we want you to be Charles Bradley, not James Brown. Do you reckon sometimes people call him and he just ignores it? Charles! Yeah. 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 Charles! Um, oh, that's me, sorry. <laughs> is that they do, talk, I mean, we're making a podcast now, like one of the, uh, an amazing, uh, one of the great things they do is, um, Blinky Griptite, he's, yeah. uh, the, he's like the MD of the band, I think, Dakins, and he makes a podcast called, it's the greatest podcast name of all time, Blinky Griptite's Ghetto Power Funk Hour. I <laughs> <laughs> think we named our football team that. Yeah, yeah, we had a five-side football team that we named after that. But if you ever get a chance, download Blink- Blinky Griptite's Ghetto Power Funk Hour. Super. Uh, <laughs> well, that's say that piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in regards to sort of, you know, good some stuff that's relevant sort of news-wise and I did did also see that there's been three little studio videos released this week uh, that D'Angelo's gonna go back and uh, yeah, and make a new album mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's good news yeah. he's not actually in them um, but there's, there's there's one's a bass player one's a drummer and they're just literally showing little bits and pieces being recorded in the studio so it's, it's I think it'd be good to have some, some new music from, from D'Angelo definitely it's really funny you mentioned that because um, that was um Lewis Taylor's problem as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because he ended up playing um, keyboards for Finn Quinn. Right. Oh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. Not so incredible. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, incredible. I'm gonna say I think the first Finley K album is fantastic. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love, yeah. I love Finley. Finley's a great guy. I'm, That's I'm, the I'm first mini disc I bought of. actually. I had that on mini disc. It's a good album. Mm. Mm. I like. It had a mixture. He sort of covered all Completely. the bases that he Completely. needed to cover, and then he had the kind of indulgent acoustic bits and stuff like that. So. Yeah, well into that first album. But, but much like a lot of his modern day contemporaries, um, the crack kind of got in the way, and it could Finley could have accomplished so much more. Mm. Henceforth, he's, he's having a, 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 a little bit of resurgence now. He's, he's starting all over again, and he's, he's cleaned his act up. Yeah. He's doing some great writing. So picking back up on um, what you guys are listening to, um, you know what 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 was on the radio as you as you come over? What have you been? What have you got? What have you got for us to listen to now? Why don't we put uh, that Lewis Taylor track on, Lucky, the acoustic version. Really nice. Cool, let's have a listen to that. Lewis Taylor with Lucky, the acoustic version. I was just chatting there. Um, Obviously, that was a a tune that the the little boys chose. Turns out Gary's a fan as well, um, so we should chat about him and says uh, he's a bit Prince-like in regards to he, he plays, writes and does it all himself, um, which kind of neatly... Greedy. <laughs> yeah, just, just a show off. Um, um, but we, which, which got us chatting while that, that, that track was on, but um, it's been announced that Prince is going to be doing some some shows in iconic London locations, uh, which I don't know what that actually means. Wolfram's kitchen. But, um, <laughs> but apart from doing a low-key gig in Gary's kitchen, you heard it here first. Um, 
tickets available on Sea Ticket now. Yeah, he's known, he's known for uh, like picking his places. I see him at um, Hot Farm Festival, which was a, a bit odd. You know, that was a comp- when that, when that guy that absolutely blew me sideways because that's literally half an hour from 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 where I live. Yeah. And, the, the, the lineup I was looking at, and I was saying, Oh, I'm not that fussed. And, and I chose to go on holiday when that was on. And literally, the day after I booked my holiday, it got announced that Prince was going to be playing at a farm in Kent. And you just you just can't comprehend that, you know, that surely he's, he is a Glastonbury headliner right there, isn't he? He's Prince. And, and the fact that he chose this independent festival in Kent I thought was was, was fantastic it was but, quite an odd thing because it was a, a bit of a late minute announcement as well so yeah, it, yeah it, was. it was pretty much a field full of people just with their mouths open going like is this actually happening you agree we all agree that Prince yeah the thing I like about Prince as well is the fact that he likes music for the sake of music when he's doing the shows at the O2 literally after every single show he would go Back somewhere else to play some other gig, and he'd, him and his band would be jamming out until four o'clock in the morning. You don't hear artists doing that anymore. Artists will stay up until four o'clock in the morning, but it's generally getting pissed, trying to get laid. Yeah. Whereas Prince is just like, yeah, I want to just keep on playing. Music. He probably done the getting laid bit to possibly probably. the highest extent you ever could in the eighties. Probably. Probably. <laughs> probably. I don't probably. think he ever struggled yeah. with Nick a Bird. Uh, I think uh, Harry Connick Jr. was 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 a lot similar than that. A lot similar to that. Albeit he comes from New Orleans, so he comes from a stock of like people who just played music all night mm-hmm. long. Harry Connick Jr. used to play with Winter Marcellus in clubs when he was like 10, 11 years old. And they'd be up until God knows whatever time, just jamming out and piano and trumpet and all that type of nonsense. And and Prince, obviously, you know, he's picked up on something of a variation on the theme yeah. of that from somewhere. You know, I know he didn't, I don't think he got it from his dad. I don't think his dad is particularly that bothered, a little bit like Hendrix's dad. You know, yeah. Hendrix, Hendrix's dad built a monument to Hendrix because he said he loved his son but built it with a right-handed guitar. Fantastic. <laughs> Big fan. You love your son, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love my son. I love my son. George, I'm Jimmy. Not to bang on about, you know, the libertines. Obviously, we're here to chat about music, you know, and, and, and what you're doing now and what, we're, you know, what, what we've got coming up and stuff. But when you say about the, you know these after shows now it was quite well documented that there was never a shortage of parties where people would turn up after these limps gigs surely where you know there'd be a flat or a, a squat where he would turn up and he'd send them little messages out via the internet cafes and, and people would generally turn up and there'd be some kind of bash I remember seeing pictures in the music press that you know, I believe yeah. Carl as well. No, uh, back, no, back in the day we used to, yeah. both, those guys especially, I was, I, I turn up on the odd occasion, but I always knew that we would get into trouble. And um, whenever the police did turn up, I generally would just stand around laughing. Because they, it was it was, it was was all a lot of bravado and, and very cool until the until the business turned up. Yeah. And, then, and then there was a lot of fear. I never really <laughs> gave it damn. I was like, fuck it, I couldn't get this. I ain't done nothing wrong. You ain't got nothing on me, bitch. So I just stand around laughing at people while they were shitting themselves. Um, but then eventually that continued. The only trouble with that was then was the fact that instead of just like a message being sent out saying, well, well, you know, there's going to be a, a swap party in my channel, get in. It was a, there's going to be a swap party in my channel. It's ten on the door. All oh, right. That that that. Yeah, I don't know if that's if that kind of, not not the ten pound fee to get in, but. I, I, I love the concept of things like that. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously like, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years of age, so I, I, I hit my, my, my teens with, with, with rave culture and, and, you know, the, 
the, the phone calls at the, at the service stations to, to direct you to the field where the raves were and, and, and stuff like that and, and to, to hear that that transcends into you know indie music culture as well where there is these these little networks and that 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 you know that I hope that, you know exists outside of your Facebooks and you know I, I love that kind of thought that there is this little kind of secret network where you know you get this you know if, if you're a fan of this act you get a heads up because you're the fans you get to see something a little bit special from an act and I, I love that and I, you know I, I hope it exists more than I know about because I, yeah. you know, I, I don't hear about it very often but that's like I think I think we don't hear about it very often because it's a very rare thing yeah. I mean I remember when we first signed to a major it broke my heart the day we were told to come to the office and be given a Twitter lesson I mean for real like, we were sat down like, you know we were we were very green kids at the time, you know, and we sat down and this major record company brought in these guys to teach us how to best utilise our Twitter followers. And I just thought, fuck me, something's just died here, you know, something's really just died that they sit, want to be rock stars down and tell them how to utilise their social media in a very clinical, like, yeah. I don't know, I mean, that's a, that's a long stretch away from the, uh, you know, the service station rave culture in the late 80s and early 90s. You know? But, but yeah, I, I wonder, without sounding like a, you know, an old man, like, you know, when I was getting bands, it was, you recorded your demo, you sent your demos out and stuff like that, and, and that was kind of all you had in your arsenal, really, was to, to you know, and occasionally hang around, the, you know, the no, good mixer and hope to see someone from a record label and oh, give I'm them not, your demo. I'm not, well, I'm, not, but, I'm, not, I'm not being a Luddite no, about what, no, what, I'm not no, saying, what I'm saying like, is, damn the technology. No, no, not at all. Like that, I'm just thinking, is that what these kids have got now that was, is the norm now, if you're, if you're coming through now in, as a 16-year-old in a band, is that... It is the norm. But yeah. the, dif the difference is now that... Uh, I'm not saying I agree with kid, it at all. Kids, kids now have to do the same thing. They have to send the demos and blah, blah. They have to play the shows. The only thing, that, the only thing now that they have that is different to your day, our day, is the fact that in our day it was sending your demos, um, guys will turn up and have some personality. Whereas now it's like, we're gonna play a show, we're gonna pack up, we're gonna leave, we're gonna send a Twitter feed to everybody, this is where we're gonna be, playing the show, um, but we're not gonna actually hang out. You're just gonna come and see us. We're gonna see a few of our friends and then we're gonna disappear. Whereas back in the day, it was, you play the show, people would turn up, Instead, you'd hang around watching other bands or trying to get laid, drink as much as possible, make an absolute tit of yourself, and and you know you you you, you, but, you, you gain the personality. But I remember you saying um, pre previously when we spoke that you know for, for, for all the the, the, the press that the peak or for the wrong reasons. You, I never said you, that. No, no, no. I, I said that. I said that. Sorry. But what you, you said was was what he was really really good at was you know. There was times when you said he would be in an internet cafe talking to fans and liaising with fans, and he, he, he said that was very, yeah. very, you know, yeah. big but thing. Then, for the, but then for him. he would meet the fans. Yeah. He wouldn't just leave it on a Twitter feed. Yeah. And, and that's the difference now. Now and now you don't need now the 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 the, the communication barrier has been firmly put up. There's yeah. a firewall in front of you that is basically you send your information to people and you expect them to turn it to you. Social media. Do you get an opportunity to to meet people? Do you, do you hang around? All the time. Yeah, we've like, got to say, our, our last tour, half of it, it's almost like, I don't mean this, but you know what I mean, get the gig out of it, so we can party yeah. with all the fans. Yeah. Of yeah. course the gigs are brilliant, and that's why we're there, but you know what I'm saying, like, most of the night was, yeah, hanging around with all the fans, yeah. and like, 
because you know, you've done it, Gary. You know, you, you go on like a 30 day tour, you know, you, you're two weeks in, you're absolutely knackered. But of course, they can't wait for you to turn up. Yeah. So that, that for them, it's like it's the day when the middle career, let's go out and party. So every night, you're, you're yeah. going out partying, you know. No, <laughs> <laughs> sounds but, terrible. But I think getting back to the the, 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 the Twitter thing, and I, I do think it is a, a, a double-edged sword in, in regards to you know you know to, to speak to you know I, I, I don't know. Let, let's 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 use an obvious example of a celebrity, Stephen Fry. You know you you can send him a message and he will reply to you. He's accessible. However, uh, you know it. Has that built up a, a thing that that's where it starts and finishes now? You know, they don't need to speak to you now. They don't need to bother with their fans as in regards to, do we need to jump down and have a drink with the fans in the bar afterwards? Or is it does it stop at like, you know, thanks for coming, hashtag great night? Is, is that is that where it's it, it's gone to now? I don't know. It's kind of an attractive position, really, because obviously you are getting the opportunity to meet your heroes via medium of social media, but actually, are you getting that opportunity to meet yeah. your heroes? The answer that you get from them is that going to be the true and honest answer as if they were stood right in front of you talking to you from one as one individual. And it's that illusion to a lot of people that it is the same. Yeah. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you guys met your heroes? Like musically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in life? Yeah, yeah we've been quite them, lucky. Yeah. We've been quite lucky. Gary's here now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, stand, I, stand, I stand in front of the mirror. <laughs> Thank you. Give your hand. Just that little hand, man. I know it. <laughs> oh goodness. Who's who, who your heroes that you've met? That you know. Tell was it was it disappointing? Was it did it deliver? We we met. Well, I had a dance with Martin Freeman once. That was quite fun. Nice. Just before we got the Hobbit gig. We was at a mod night, and he's he's one. I mean, he's one of the biggest mods in the world. Yeah. And um, he did a he did a documentary about Motown for the BBC That's a couple right. of years ago. And it was uh, it was a couple of years ago, just before he got the Hobbit gig. And uh, Martin Freeman taught me how to dance like a mod. Well, he should be good at the Melbourne Soul, you know, dancing with them big feet. No, I mean, yeah. He's, he's a big fan, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you know, we've been lucky enough to be at some cool parties and met some heroes, but some of them let you down and some of them live up to it, and, mm. you know, certainly not going to sit here and slag off my heroes. You know? <laughs> yeah, London. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, um, we've just been chatting that I think Prince's room to be doing some festivals and stuff, but which brings us on to the Milk Boys and, and there's some, some festival news for you guys as well. Yeah, we're sort of kicking the year off in a couple of weeks with um, this Ibiza rock show. They're doing a, a, they're taking Ibiza to the mountains and putting it on a ski resort apparently. And yeah, they booked us um, to play in a couple of weeks. That would be the first sort of big show of the year. We're doing a, a secret little gig in a week's time, but we're not really telling anyone where that is or when that is. Uh, we just want to play a load of material to a load of unsuspecting people that. Um, no pressure. Yeah, yeah, with no pressure. Yeah. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to get the year rolling, you know, shake off a bit of turkey. And... Yeah, I'll tell you. Do you know who else is <laughs> I haven't looked at the lineup. Do you know what? Yeah, I haven't. I think they, it's, um, it focuses a lot on DJs. It's similar yeah. to Snowbombing in that sense, because yeah. we did Snowbombing a couple of years ago, and like I think we were like one of two bands that yeah. were on the whole yeah. festival, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's DJ. DJ. Blues. It's cheaper to fly a DJ up a mountain than it is six airy geezers yeah. with guitars oh. and amps. You know? <laughs> How does that um, impact on you guys, show-wise? I mean, do you get to uh, mix like with the? Do you go and listen? Do you go to the other rooms? Do you have a walk around, or do you, are you just there to do your thing and you you mix with like-minded people? How does that sit? In? Um, what as festivals in general? Mm, yeah. No, we we usually get right involved unless we've got something to do. You know, got you know another engagement afterwards. We usually, don't we? We usually spend a bit of time at everywhere we go. I mean, Glastonbury we done last year, and we was um, that was our first Glastonbury experience, and we done the whole thing, man. We, you know, we got there. We were super lucky. We played on the Friday night, and then we just said to like tour manager, like just not, <coughs> nothing in the diary for the rest of the weekend. We planned Glastonbury on the Friday. We didn't want to then fuck off and miss Glastonbury. And luckily, we had the whole weekend at Glastonbury. It was wicked, so we got the show out of the way. And it was nice weather this year as well, wasn't it? Oh, it was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it was I mean, it really was like... It was one of those real highlights. It was that we played... Glast- our first Glastonbury was the year the Stones played, and the weather was perfect, and we didn't have to shoot off to another gig. We just got to enjoy the weekend. Perfect. It really, like The stars aligned for that one yeah. for us. You know, yeah. It really was just the perfect little experience that we wanted. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually, because usually, you often get like a few free tickets that come with it, and um, yeah, we always bring our mates. You know, So there's usually a, a, a team of about 10 or 20 of us uh, uh, all, all of these messages. <laughs> it's, it's all about... We sort of going back to like the Prince ethic and like, you know, what you were saying about, you know, he, he got a reputation for sort of like doing the gig and then shooting off somewhere else and finding the gig and that mentality of not just hanging out being, he wasn't just busy hanging out being Prince, he was, he was you know, doing it and kind of we, we've put a few people from like management firms and, and the record labels noses out of joint a few times because they're sort of, you know, we've been at occasions where they've set up like our entrance to like some really celebrity party or whatever, but then we always bring a bit of a crew with us, you know, we've always got a, a group of like 
real old friends that just kind of like we like to bring along you know and we're always like well if they can't get in we ain't going and not normally they can't get in so we're like fuck it so we end up just finding our own party yeah. and that's sort of how we I'm sure that promoters also thinking fucking hell nearly had 20 pissed up Essex boys now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could have done right well without that <laughs> I remember we played we, when we played Ibiza Rocks the first time in Ibiza uh, summer before last and the same thing what was that party up in the hills like apparently it was where Freddie Mercury used to snort cocaine off of it's, the you know, trays it's the hotel what's it called it's where Club Tropicana was filmed. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Where they filmed Tro- Club Tropicana. Oh, what is it called? Anyway. It is or something. It's not called Club Tropicana, is it? So where is it? In the hills in Ibiza. Anyway, we did the show and it was like, and they was like, right, I've got your passes to such and such, but it's only you four and me. It was fuck, fuck that. that, man. And he was going, but it's where fucking Club Tropicana was filmed. <laughs> We're like, we don't give a fuck. You know, it's going to be a lame party if one of our friends are here. We went to till... Yeah. Seven in the morning. <laughs> and I had something like that when the first time that we did um, Ibiza Rocks. And, uh, and then we, we got invited to a party up in the hills, as you do. And we were like, Pikes. Yeah. Pikes. Pikes. Oh, Pikes. my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And we ended up not doing it. And we ended up going back to where we were staying. And there was a bunch of guys came and, and hung out with us. And it was, a, it was about two months later that my drum tech sent me this picture. Of me being held up by, by this pool with this gold bikini on <laughs> and this blonde wig just slobbering, holding this bottle of whatever, literally just holding me before I fell in the pool. Oh. And he sent me this picture, and uh, I, I just had to mail back to him saying, "Please don't, 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 don't send the picture anywhere." And he just went, Too late. Straight <laughs> on the cover of the star. Everywhere, it was just so embarrassing. Still got a bikini girl. Yeah, yeah. like a bollock hanging out. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> not a good one. Yeah, I was watching not some footage of, uh, of you and Carl uh, just yesterday. I was looking at it, um, being interviewed by Zane Lowe. I think it might have been at Glastonbury around the sort of time that um, I think you'd been escalated to to that that kind of that level that you're already at. And I, Pete wasn't Carl, Pete wasn't there, but I was around for the ride. Yeah, yeah but, um, <laughs> it was cool to uh, three of you just sitting on the floor on the grass. Um, like what? What was that like around that time but at those bigger festivals? To be honest, I don't know. I didn't never really pay that much attention to it, to be, to be honest. I mean, I had, to, I had to do what I had to do regarding those interviews. But generally speaking, I mean, by then, I think it was kind of running near the... It was even near the end of the Libertines or kind of the beginning of Dirty Pretty Things. Right, yeah. By then, I was just like, I'm, I'm, I can't be bothered anymore. Mm. I spent a lot of my time like you guys hanging out with my friends and then it would be like a tour manager would say well you got to do some press alright mate so I'll be back in a minute to do some press and yeah. then run back again and then just do, and then just do my do my own thing I never kind of got held or kind of I never bought into that whole kind of thing even mm. like when we did um, the reunion shows and like we all had a dressing room each nonsense and because we'd played Reading and Leeds so many times and Reading was mental so. it was absolutely mental but the security backstage we knew all of the security backstage because you know we'd done it so many times and I, and I had one guy there who was like looking after supposedly my encampment and he was just stood in front of his um, in, fr- in front of his door entrance and I walked up and he was like oh I got you and he was like fucking hell gotta tell you about fucking Guns N' Roses last night and we ended up just standing around talking he was supposed to be a security guard yeah like, that's what his job was and I was like bollocks if I'm gonna hang out that's what I, that's what I would but that, that's that that was me mm. kind of 
And now I get to do it more often because. So, did it become? <laughs> obviously, it becomes more of a, a laborious job, does it? In that, in that sense. No, because no, it, it never was a job. It, it, it never, it, ne- it never was a job. I never ever got bored of it. I, I you know, I, there was a point when when the boys started to get a, a little bit annoying, and I was like, I'll do my own press, and they can do their press because I actually don't there. like hanging out with you anymore because you're just being tits to, the- to other people, like answering ask, uh, answering questions like. Um, have you listened to the record yet? So you shouldn't ask, be asking any questions regarding the record if you haven't even listened to it. Mm. I'm just like, of course I haven't fucking listened to the record. You're about the 10th person that they've interviewed today. Mm. They haven't listened to every single record. They're just here doing a job as you are. Do you know their middle name? No, shut the fuck up and leave the, leave the woman alone. Mm. Don't make the woman cry because she hasn't listened to your record. Stop being fucking stupid. Mm. It's like, you know, it's that type of mentality. Yeah. The fact that, you know, you think you're bigger than... Yeah. And I was just like, nah, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not really interested. If you want to talk to me, then we'll talk. Mm. Generally speaking, there wasn't a great deal of press after that, which is fine by me. I didn't really need to because that gave me more time to hang out with the people that I really wanted to hang out with. That's weird that you say because obviously it's almost like the polar opposite of what these guys are saying. And they're sort of saying, like, show, they still are as a unit with their friends and go out. Whereas, yeah. you know, it sounded like to that point by then, the four went separate ways and with their own friends and done their own yeah. thing. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. It was the end of the world as we know it. Did you feel fine, though? Oh, I felt fine. Sleep. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. The milk boys have got to go in a minute. But we're gonna stick about and chat um, to, to go a little bit more. He's gonna play a few more tunes. But I'm gonna get my my, my my little rock and roll story in about meeting your heroes. Huh? Um, and and that was a, a a weird little slick link there. Um, but um, <coughs> I uh, I went to CREM. Um, who, who, who one of my favourite bands, and uh, I, went, I went to him to do a Glastonbury warm-up, and uh, and I managed to no like when you go with your gig, sometimes you can get too drunk and it's just rubbish, or you can be sober and it's just not really feeling it, and sometimes you can just drink the right amount where it all lines up and it's just perfect. Well, I managed to do I've that. Never done that. And, uh, <laughs> no, it's the one and only time I've done that, and. Uh, and I, and I pushed myself to the front and, and, and I was there like an absolute child screaming, oh, Michael, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and they played, you know, a, a fantastic set and, and they always finish with, it's the end of all, as we know it. And, uh, and literally, he's, Stipe's come to the front of the stage and I've put my hand out to shake his hand and he's gone to shake it and he's had a sort of second thought and he shoved the mic in my hand. And so I had this this bombardment of things, of being a failed musician, of thinking, fuck me, I'm playing Brixton Academy right now, and I've got REM backing me, and I just thought, right, I'm going for it. And literally, I had people jumping on me, trying to get this mic off me, and I was just curled in a ball, screaming, it's the end of the world as we know it, like, as loud as I could. I got dragged out by security, gave the mic uh, gave the mic back to, to, to Michael Stipe, <laughs> and... Uh, and he just said, are you all right? And I was like, I was a lovesick kid. Just went, yes. And like, just thinking, like, it's just got too much. Anyway, that, all, that was, you know, that was the greatest gig I'd ever seen, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I was at a club, I was DJing at the, the, the following Saturday, and this, this guy come in, he said, uh, I'll see you at the REM gig at Brixton. I said, oh, really? He went, yeah, yeah. I went, oh, okay. And he went, uh, you got the mic, didn't you? I said, oh, mate. I said, I, I don't know how it happened, but I did, yeah. And uh, he went, have a listen to that. And he gave me the bootleg of the gig. So I've got wow. a CD of myself <laughs> singing. It's the end of... Now, you've got, you've got Mike Mills' sweet backing vocals 
<laughs> singing It's Time I Had Some Time well, Alone. Well, he carried on. To, yeah, the, the whole thing carried on, but with Chaz and Dave going, who's singing? Oh, the world <laughs> With all these people jumping on me. But I, I, I've got a CD of me singing It's the End Leonard of the World. Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Singing with R.E.M. So, uh, Speaking yeah. of Chaz and Dave, their album's pretty good. It yes. is. Funny yeah, enough. It really is. Funny enough, yeah, I was yes. going to bring one of their tracks today. It's, uh, I don't know whether I've got it with they've me. Got, but, they've um, got the... the the age in their voices really does a lot for the authenticity. Like they've gone really back bluesy. Yeah, and really Delta blues. Really Delta. Very, it's, yeah. um, you know, they've become a bit of like an easy joke, mm. Chaz and Dave, in the last couple of decades. But the new album is it's a serious, serious record. Yeah, it's, I really, it's really funny because um, back in the day when when they when they um, supported us. Um, they were kind of at that, that, that point in time. They were like, you know, well, we're, we're Chaz and Dave, you know, um, you know, we're, we're East End boys. So, um, so we play East End music, um, and we asked about what they, what the stuff they're listening to, and they said, yeah, we like the blues and stuff, but there's not much point in us actually sounding like that. It's where it's from here. We're from here, so that's why we sound like this. And then I heard the album, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> now they now they get it. Yeah, now they. I mean, I don't mean they were a joke. Like you know, no, a lot weren't. of people like they were a yeah. joke, but like there was a certain like throwaway thing. Yeah. You know, the rabbit, 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 rabbit. Yeah, yeah. snooker loopy, I suppose. Yeah. But but it's a really serious piece of work they put together, and it, they've pulled it off. They do really you think have. a lot of that would have been? Um, do you think there would have been a time where they would have sat down and said, "Look, we want to carry on playing the music that we were playing," and the record company would have come in and said, "Look, we've got this track." We've got Dennis Taylor on boards, um, <laughs> and uh, it's about snooker, and this is the direction we want to go. Do you, do, there, would, there would have been an element of them. I saying, think there was a mortgage repayment due at that yeah, point. Yeah. Like, Someone like, owed the tax man. Yeah, but well, you know, it's, it's well documented. Like you know, they, you know, session musician. It was Chaz Hodges, one. It was yeah. he was he in, was a and, dude, um, right? and an and an M track. Yeah, it's Mathis a track. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a, it's a, it's a Sam Lovely. Sam Dave Sam Davis tune. I think it was. Someone that was, that was, oh, is it? Yeah. It is, you're right, yeah, bang on. Yeah, it was a session on that and then it, um, it came about as a good sort of uh, muse fact. Oh, the Chaz and Dave book's fantastic. Uh, no, do you know, it's ironic that, um, that, that the milk are leaving right now because uh, if you can see what Mitch is wearing, he looks like he could be selling jelly deals at a, a Chaz and Dave gig at the moment. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll put pictures on Watch the you go. <laughs> We'll have uh, we'll have all the pictures up on the blog and um, from today. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been yeah, really nice. Time, Good luck with everything that's coming up. Um, yeah. We'll try and get down and, and come see you in the future. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, the milk. Cheers. Back with um, Gary from the the Libertines. Gary, I was looking on um, online a couple of days ago. Um, again, I spent a lot of time online, obviously. Um, Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty boy. Um, I picked up on a, a video of you and you and your brother. Uh, your brother plays the Glockenspiel. Yeah, Miriam Burr and Vibe. That's uh, yeah. beautiful to watch. Um, Sorry. A what? Marimba and Vibraphone. Well, um, right, Marimba. okay. Yeah. yeah. Just such an electrifying sound. Is that, uh, how is that with, um, you know, have you always played along with your, of your brother? Have yeah, you got the yeah, same we, musical journey? Kind of yeah, thing? yeah, we've pretty, we've pretty much had the same musical journey. We, 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 can't, we to a degree, play the same instruments, albeit my brother, musically, is, is 
he's he he's he's a lot like Prince. He plays everything. He taught himself, taught himself to play guitar. Taught himself taught himself to play drums. He plays symphony and he plays timpani and symphonies in orchestras. He plays drum kit in jazz orchestras. He plays drum kit in, in rock or in rock bands. No, he just he literally, like that. He literally literally <laughs> does it all. He's, he's a he's a peripatetic teacher as well. Teaching music is a he's been he's an amazing pianist. I as a child was a little bit ADHD. Um, didn't really have the attention span, so I picked up a little bit of everything. Started a little bit of keyboard, percussive instruments, marimba, vibraphone as well, but not to the extent as that my brother was. When he went out to the states to do music as well, he went out I think at the age of 17 and was entering a individuals and ensemble competition, performing on um, supposedly a vibraphone. But instead of that, he put a marimba to the to the left of him. A vibraphone to the side of him, so he created like an L shape, and he had three mallets in one hand, <laughs> two in the other, and he just played this piece of music across this. And he was, and then he got his, he got his first publishing deal when he was seventeen. Oh, incredible! And but he's not public, but it's not the publish, publishing as we would assume. It's publishing an actual score of music that he had written and composed himself that he got published at seventeen. I mean, he, he's just a musical phenom, but he's a he's he's a little bit introverted. So he's kind of happy with, with his lot right now, which is which is great. The piece of music that you saw us performing was a piece of music that he wrote, he penned it himself. And Beautiful. he just kind of jammed it out. He's always writing weird stuff. He's got a, we got a home set up. Mm -hmm. And we have the studio that he's kind of made for himself. He spends all his time either playing or buying instruments on eBay and selling. That's all he does, buying and selling instruments on eBay. And it's just, it's just, just from what from where we started, where I had a drum kit, to, to what he's amassed right now is just absolutely ridiculous. It's just house is just full of instruments. The 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 amount of music that we had in the house was just absolutely ridiculous. What back in 2004, I I luckily had the opportunity to perform with the New York Dolls, and I remember being a kid when my dad was in the car with my mom, and the New York Dolls album came out in what 76, whatever, mm. something like that. And yeah. my dad had bought the eight track and was playing that in the car and my mom was a Rolling Stones fan and listening to my mum and dad argue about the fact that my dad was like, this is a, this is a new hot shit, you gotta, you gotta listen to this and my mom was like, no, I don't like it, David Johansson's trying to sound like Mick Jagger and they were in that, that, that this argument and then a few, well, we roll forward a bunch of years and I have to make that phone call to my mum stating that I'm going to be performing with the New York Dolls. And how was that? How was she that? broke down and cried because she, she, she knew, well, because of my dad, she knew the history and, and they have the history of drummers dying. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so she's like, don't do it! It'll kill you! Don't do it! <laughs> Which is hilarious. Where yeah. was that gig? Um, Festival Halls. Mm. Festival Halls. Was that the thing with Morrissey? Yeah, Morrissey. Curated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was oh, great. Fantastic. Was, you know, for me, it was amazing because not only was I remember back in the days of the Libs when the guys used to come around around the house with food and we just have a few drinks and talk talk music and stuff and we were I had I'd recently bought like um an old like grey whistle test and box set. Mm, and we watched, yeah and we watched we watched the dolls on there as well and we loved the dolls. We we we, we loved the dolls and we just we just loved it. So it was amazing for me to actually then think back to those days of being with my mates when we actually were mates. <laughs> Watching the New York dolls or having a, a fascination about the New York dolls and me actually ending up playing with them. So, yeah. That's incredible. That's a fantastic little story there, mm. man. So, um, what's what's happening now, you go? What are you up to? What are you, what are you doing nowadays? Crikey, doing, I'm doing more than I should be. I mean, I'm obviously working with Stu. I mean, I met Stu a bunch of years ago now when I was, um, he got me to DJ for him at 
a New Year's Eve The party. first one was, you, you'd come to Essex before and you played at the Pink Toothbrush, um, but I wasn't there that night. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and and there was there was good reviews, there was good reviews, so I thought, right, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll book out, uh, it was the, the Matt Holm Presents session, New Year's Eve party. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we, we met and hung out and I thought we got on well. And, uh, yeah, no, we got, uh, no, we got it great. We, we got, we, we, got, we got around the world. Yeah. And, and we met up and, and we've done sort of nights together in different venues across East London. And, uh, and, and yeah, on, on the, on the 29th, Saturday the 29th of March, we're, we're, we're going to launch one, um, at the Vibe Bar in Brick Lane. So, we've been chatting and, um, we, 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 we spoke about the fact that there seems to be no indie nights in East London, um, which which sort of go back ten years, and you, you couldn't move for a, for a, for, a, for an indie night anywhere. Everything was, you know, that, that was all there was really, and and, and obviously the you know electronic music became so huge and 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 evolved, and, and the, all the scenes have all sort of blurred into one really. But I just put some stuff out on social media, and and, and the, the, the feedback from people saying. Look, there needs to be a, a good old-fashioned indie knees up fun night out in, in East London and there, and there isn't one um, so I, I think yeah, me and Gal might have to have the solution yeah we're going to give it a try we're going to give it a try I think a lot of the problem is as well that the, the term indie nights out they've kind of become convoluted everybody assumes that you, you know your indie night out is, uh, night out is going to be Kaiser Chiefs Arctic Monkeys, blah, 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 they're killers, and that's what you're going to hear all night long. When it's not indie, by, you know, it's the purest term is independent music. Independent music, music of whatever I've heard. I've heard Stu DJ, and and the amount of, like, core, old-school hip-hop and R&B and stuff that he's been playing, that these indie kids love, they absolutely love it. And, And because the indie nights that they usually go to are... Pretty much on the basis of you know you're gonna get your you, you, you know you're gonna get the libertines you're gonna get the arctic monkeys it's great to have that variation on a theme of those nights where you actually are celebrating what actually is independent music and an independent thought process as well to actually how you put all of that music together so just just a lot of fun just a, a lot more fun than having having it be so specifically genre orientated most of these kids i mean i've got a mate of mine i met in in ib for a, a, a year a few years ago who loves baby shambles loves everything indie but the first time i went to his house and i saw his old school hip-hop vinyl collection it was just absolutely ridiculous he had more than me i was, I was just like oh my god i've never even heard of half of this stuff i didn't even know this, this existed and it's great to actually see that there are people still out there with that mentality that yeah, just because it's called indie, that doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be Mr. Brightside. I think there must be a level of you need to get that balance right of um, entertainment and education. Yeah. And it's that kind of you're at that level where you know there's that buzz of enjoyment, and then all of a sudden something comes along and just sweeps you from the side that you wouldn't necessarily have expected or you wouldn't have heard. Yeah. And I think that's where like picking up on the social media thing that we were talking about earlier comes into play because quite often you'll just scroll down and there'll be something that you've not kind of seen there before, and it, it will sort of it'll it'll take you by surprise, educate you, and then you can go off in that other direction and um, it will give you something else to listen to, new artists to listen yeah. to, and stuff yeah. like that. I just hope that 
what, what you said there is so true and, and it is all at, at your fingertips to, to be turned on to new music and I, I just hope that you know when you are exposed to new music you get the opportunity to take that time and absorb it and I don't mean in a, in a wanky muso way but listen to it and, and listen to an album as as the artist intended it to be listened to not go on iTunes and, and buy, you know flip buy through and buy a few tracks it's like that's not the body of work that that artist wishes you to, to, to you know you shouldn't be listened to like that and and God, you know what, this whole podcast, I've come across like a right grumpy old man. But it, <laughs> I, I, but it, it is true, it is true. I, you know, I, th- I think when you when you bought an album, or, you know, or a CD, whatever, you, you, you listen to it because you couldn't afford to buy a mini. So what you bought, you listen to, and you you, you know, um, I wonder, will it is it lost on people now that that when you hear a certain record? When it gets to the end, your brain is programmed to think that the next track from that album is gonna come, mm. or the next track from your mixtape is gonna be following that, you know. And I hope that's not not lost because I I, I do think that certain albums, like you can see, Gal sitting with his beard and his red hat, with you know, he's, he's looking very Marvin Gaye today. And I think, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, and, and me and Gary have spoken in depth about our love of Marvin Gaye, you know. And but what's going on? You could never listen to that album. No, it, it has to be listened to together, yeah. doesn't it? That that album, yeah. you know, it flows as, as a you know that, that that's a good example of what I'm trying to say. It's a body know. work. It, it, it is a it is a body work. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't really blame the general public per se. What's actually happened is basically it comes to scale. It, it all comes down to that. The music industry up until what about 15 years ago was possibly one of the it was definitely one of the top three financial earning inst- entities in this country. There was arms, there was something else and there was music and that's what brought England its bread and butter. Now all of a sudden the banks fall to pieces, the, the, the record companies they re- they've realised they've spent away way too much fucking money and they have to make cuts on the basis of the fact that all of a sudden there's a new digital digital era that's raised its ugly head which unfortunately when the digital era came about it should have actually been grasped as being something that was holy and absolutely amazing because it's giving everybody the opportunity to actually to do something for themselves. For me, it kind of harks back to the 70s when when, when, when all of the youth were dis- disenfranchised, there was no work, and, you know, they, they didn't fit into society, and then all of a sudden some kid somewhere decided to pick up a guitar, get into a garage, and start playing punk rock, and then all of a sudden these kids were like, well, Jesus Christ, I can get a guitar from, the, from a porn job, we can all do that ourselves. And then there was an era, and then there was a period of time of people all thinking along the same lines, heading in the same direction musically, which kind of created a movement of people, an embodiment together of, 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 of the same mindset of people. That, it, that era came about with digital music, mm. when kids who couldn't afford then to go into a studio to buy a brand new guitar, to buy themselves a laptop, they could download the plugins, maybe some for free, maybe they have enough money to buy Waves, maybe not Waves, <laughs> um, and, and, and they were creating their own music, and then the platforms created a, a system where, whereby they could systematically finish off recording, 
um, go directly onto AOL, pay their five quid or whatever it was, and upload their music straight out to the earth. Mm. And they're selling music from the back of their cars and stuff. It was exactly, it's a pretty much musically, it was exactly the same thing as happened in the 70s. It was kids who then realized that there was an outlet for them musically. Unfortunately, the industry just paid absolutely no attention to them. They were didn't quite nice respond. Yeah, mm. did not respond. I mean, especially in this country, I mean, it's really, really. It's really, really sad to think about the fact that in Scandinavia last year there was, I think, there was a 33 and a 30 percent uptake in record sales in total. Wow. Because when the digital era came about, they just went, right, we're not going to make it that expensive, so people aren't going to go to dodgy sites to download crap quality music, and that's what's brought about this whole thing about the fact that you know um, we're not, we're only going to listen to it once or twice because the quality of the recording generally mm. is so freaking bad. Why are you going to listen to it crap loads of times? Mm. Even iTunes, the quality is pretty shit. Mm. It's not particularly that great. No. You know, you're not you're not going to spend that. You're not going to invest that amount of time listening to something where sonically, mm. somewhere in the back of your mind, it's telling you that this, I like this song, but sonically, it's just not agreeing with me. So I'm going to move on and listen to something else. Mm. And in Scandinavia, they said, "Well, bollocks to that. Well, we're going to we're going to make it a little bit more affordable. We're going to drop it by twenty pence or so, so that everybody will actually see." There, see that it actually makes sense to purchase something whereby the quality is a, is a little bit better. So they don't have a problem particularly with illegal downloads. Do you think that's what's fired the insurgence of vinyl releases in this country? I mean, you've got uh, record shops like Rough Trade and that, uh, uh, in in my years, have been kind of a novelty. Uh, we had a local record shop, uh, ours, Adrian's, there was one in Grey's, uh, Lloyd used to run, and it was kind of um, they're always empty and it was a novelty to be there. Record Store Day was a big thing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Looking at it across the last couple of years, I think vinyl sales are up, yeah. uh, up, up in this country. Um, and do you think that is, that's a direct feed for that want for a, a quality product? I think only partially. I think because music, specifically in this country, is so ingrained in the psyche. I mean, we, we always talk about the, like, you know, the likes of um, um, the reggae movement in the Caribbean and soul movements in the States and stuff and and, th and those and those and those countries are like you know music is is part and parcel of that country's DNA music is so part and parcel of the English DNA but it is ridiculous we just kind of tend to just we, we glaze over it mm. we don't really talk about the fact that music is so freaking important in this country the fact that reggae in the States if there wasn't for, if there wasn't island records it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been filtered out around the rest of the world. R and B in the States would not be as prevalent as if if some of the rock bands over here didn't actually import it over here mm, right. and, 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 and embrace it and then Northern Northern Soul Nights were set out and all of a sudden R and B's starting to get exported into the mainland, into Europe. Mm directly because of the impact that it's had on the UK and then the UK does its own thing with it. Soul to Soul back in the 90s, when Soul to Soul back in the 90s came out, that was huge. And again, in go, this country, go, you're, si you're sitting in Essex, honestly, right now, you're sitting in Essex. <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't, you could not walk down the street then when, when, when that Soul Soul, when that, that first album come out, every single Escort XR3i had, you, you couldn't move for Keep On Moving. That, yeah. that, track that beat was just it, it well it, yeah I, I, it probably wasn't just Essex but it was so in Essex it was a big thing it, it was oh. it, 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 that that sound I, um, was in, I was in New Jersey at the time and every single car that went, went by was playing 
keep on moving. Yeah. And every single car that went by assumed that Soul to Soul were from New York or yeah. from New Jersey. That's wow. what they thought. Yeah. No idea that he was not from yeah. there at all. So do you think that is a direct result of that, um, the, the beast of the music industry, as they say, that platform pushing something forward? Like you mentioned Ireland, Motown yeah. and stuff like that. And that is, it's almost as if the, the two need to go hand in hand. Um, is music enough on its own? Um, it should be enough on its own, but unfortunately it's not. Unfortunately it's not. M- music needs to be championed, and we don't actually have that platform right now in this country to champion music. There is so much great music out there being performed by young kids who are setting up bands. And, you know, there's not enough information as well. Well, you know, a prime example was um, Lewis... Uh, Lewis Taylor. Lewis Taylor. Yeah. There, there, there's a prime example. You, you all heard that track earlier, and how the hell has that been overlooked by the masses? You know, but, you know, I, I dare say that the purists have, 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 have sought out music like that. But you know, that, that's that is beautiful music. You know, um, yes, because because the powers that be have decided that there is a, a lowest common denominator with regards to music and the music distribution, yeah. and those people should be fed to above and above and beyond everybody else. Yeah. And unfortunately, they they neglect to actually think about the fact that the no, n- n- the lowest common denominator, so they seem, they're only that because they're actually being they've actually been given that information. If you give them something else and tell them that this is great. They will then actually make up their own mind. Yeah, There's cool. a reason why One Direction is so huge in this country, in the world right now, and it's because it's been shoveled down everybody's throat. Yeah. Not because it's not because it's more amazing. I'm not saying that it's crap, but it's pop music for children, isn't it? Exactly, it's pop music for children. Yeah, it's pop music for children. But it's been shoveled in that direction. Yeah, mm. it's been you know it's in been one it's direction. Been, yeah, in one yeah. direction. <laughs> Gary, another one of the tracks that you brought along. Um, Sort of knock me sideways is fiction. Um, Matthew Herbert, big band. Um, tell us a bit about this track because um, it made me fall over in the street when I heard it. Cool. Well, um, I'll go back. I'll go back a while. The first time that we, as the Libs, went to Japan, went to Tokyo, and we were playing um, um, a summer Sonic festival. We just flown into Osaka, played there, had a night after night before we were playing Summer Sonic in Tokyo, and we got the record company van there. The folks that were helping us out. One of the guys was like, um, do you want to go do a gig? I mean, John Hassel from, from the band. We were just like, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And Pete and Carl had, had, had bagged chicks, so they were going off to have sex. <laughs> and me and John decided we wanted to go out and check out this band. We went to this venue called The Liquid Rooms. And it's right in the heart of, um, I think it's in Shinjuku. It's really, really cool. You know, you know, in all of the movies where the, the neon lights and everything looks yeah. really, really, that's exactly where this venue is. So we, you know, went in this, went in this venue, got in this lift box, went up to the top floor. These doors open up, and I saw this big band set up in front of me. And I was just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. You know, you know, we were told we were going to see Matthew Herbert, but I had no idea who Matthew Herbert was. I, at that point in time, and still do sometimes, I just kind of like went along with it, like, Gary. Have you heard of Matthew Herbert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to come see him? Genius, I love him. <laughs> Never heard of him before in my life. But I saw this big band set up and I was like, whoa, this is amazing because I love big band. I do I do honestly love big band. And he had this 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 console set up in the center of this in the center of this big band. Came out, the big band came out, and started, you know, started conducting his And they started playing, then all of a sudden, he just went deep and started flexing these knobs and bringing up these really delayed 
dubstep sounds and and we and it's just like oh my god he was, he was literally sampling this band and he also had a section where i can't even remember the track where they had bags little paper bags and they hit these paper bags and he was sampling the sounds of the paper bags time stretching them and then detuning them and stuff and then they're they playing and then they'll do you know it's a big it's a big band so they could they could they could drop drop silence on a, on a on a penny. I was gonna say on a dime on a penny, and they would stop, and he would like flex this kind of weird sound, and it would come back, and it was just like we literally. I remember literally just sit, sitting around, just looking around, going, I I don't understand what's happening. This this absolutely makes no sense. It's possibly one of the best gigs I've ever seen in my entire life, and oh ever my. since then I've just been I've just been checking out everything that he does. He's mm. just an absolute genius. And again, he's just a, you know, he's, he's English. He's, he's from some, he's from, he's from some, I think he's from Kent. Wow. He's, 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 he's from Kent. And he's another British export mm. that has made it and, and is, is receiving kind of like um, plaudits from absolutely everywhere apart from the country that he comes from. Yeah, of course. Well, I hope to change that. Let's have a listen. It's uh, Matthew Herbert, Big Band with Fiction. Fiction. Right, so that was Fiction by the uh, Matthew Herbert Big Band. Gary, thanks for coming to see us um, today. Thanks, Gary. Had a great really appreciate Sorry, I was late. The District Line ain't no joke on a Saturday. It really is. Good man for an album. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, you can catch our Yo London blog, which is going from strength to strength. Yeah, go and um, have a look. And Stuart, remember, um, at the end of March, me and Gal launching the night at the Vibe Bar. Come and uh, come and have a listen. Come and say hi, gal. And, yeah, come uh, down. It'll be fun. We we drink whiskey and we talk nonsense. It's going to be kind of hopefully <laughs> if like um, Stu will let me and or be, he'll more than likely tell me to shut up as most people should do. We, it's going to be kind of compared, you know. You know, as opposed to you, you're turning up and and you know you have a few drinks and the band turns up. It'll be it'll be it'll it'll be a variety of night of performance. It'll 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 be crazy. By then I'll be pretty pissed. So who knows what'll happen? Who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> there awesome. you go, Gary. Thanks your time. Cheers. My pleasure. Cool. You're listening to the Your London Radio Show, live from White Don't forget to stay in touch at Yo London Tweets on Twitter, and keep up to date with everything Yo London at our blog, yolondon.blogspot.co.uk, or look us up on Facebook. Thanks for listening, see you next time. Bye bye. 